Support for Always Sunny and Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you precision-engineered tools for your grooming experience. So Manscaped was kind enough to hook us up with their best-selling product, the Lawnmower 3.0, and no joke, you guys, this thing's slick. Uh, I'm not going to do an ad read for a company that I don't believe in personally, and I'm here to tell you that if you have any shaving needs for any hair on your body, this takes care of it. Uh, it's a great little, great little buzzer, great product. I'm a super hairy guy, and if I'm going to recommend a product on the show, it's going to be something that actually impresses me, and so consider me impressed. Here are the deets straight from the Manscaped ad copy. Their third generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. The water resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower, which is pretty cool. Something that I haven't seen a lot of the razors and the LED light, um, it's built in right on the front of it and illuminates whatever you're shaving. So it's a great product. I'm a huge fan. Get 20% off and free shipping on your whole entire order if you use the promo code SUNNYNKC on the manscaped.com website. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use SUNNYNKC. And honestly, we need you guys to use this code to secure our deal with Manscaped long term. So please use the code. Let Austin and I know about it. We'll shout you out on the podcast. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Well, Taylor, we got some bad news today. Man, some really bad news. The Chiefs sent a message to all of their ticket owners, ticket holders, that said that um, due to some recommendations by the CDC uh, that they will not be at full capacity in Arrowhead this year, which is tragic, but that especially impacted you and I in a horrible way. It sure did, because we bought our tickets a couple weeks ago when they first went on sale. I mean, it's probably been... Yeah, Actually, a couple, couple months, months ago, ago by now. now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we bought our tickets for opening night, the ring ceremony, Thursday night football, and we received our notification today. We bought through Ticketmaster that uh, our tickets are null and void. Man. So we're going to have to wrangle a refund from Ticketmaster. And I guess if those tickets get resold, you know, maybe we could take another shot at it, but I'm sure the prices are going to go up. It's just, it's a well, mess. And the problem is that because the because of the reduced capacity, uh, if you know there are more ticket season ticket holders than there will be capacity at Arrowhead, I'm it's pretty crazy. sure. So yeah. there there are going to be people that bought season tickets that are not going to be able to go to the game. So I'm guessing the single game resale market is going to either be astronomical or impossible. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be astronomical for the people that want to sell their tickets and who who will want to sell their tickets. I mean, they're going to be like, you know, it's, they're going to have a road in themselves. It's going to be at Arrowhead. They're going to have, <laughs> right. you know, luxury seats to watch Patrick Mahomes in his title defense. <laughs> yeah. And they can hear a pin drop in Arrowhead too. Yeah. I just will be weird. I mean, Super the, weird. Uh, I saw the Ravens today announced yeah. that as well, that their, see their capacity yeah. capacity would be 14,000. Yep. Yep. 14,000, which is just a pittance. I mean, that's no one. That is yeah, a their stadium capacity is seventy one thousand. I just ah. looked it up. So I mean they're looking at I mean Oh no. We're looking at less than twenty five percent capacity for the Ravens. Brutal. And I I don't didn't see a number from the Chiefs, but you have to imagine it's, it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be low. It's well, gonna especially be especially because the teams are getting guidance on this. So whatever yeah. the most people that they can allow into the stadium, they will. So if the most that the Ravens can allow in is 14,000, then it's going to be that for the Chiefs. It's going to be around there because our capacity is around there. So uh, it's just it, – it's one of those things where, like, I I knew this was coming, but I didn't want to believe it 
I, I didn't want to accept this reality. And now that it's here, um, it sucks. I was looking forward to this game. This was, I told you on the side, this reminded me of the 2016 Royals opening day. They got to face a team that they destroyed in the playoffs, the Mets. The and team. The, the team, team they beat yeah, for the, the ring. Right. And I mean, you know, the it's it's just, it's tragic. It's going to, if this is the way the season is going to start right now in July with this news, I mean, this this puts a big wrench into a lot of plans. Yeah, it's been a weird offseason because obviously on the one hand, it's very cool to see the Chiefs celebrating a Super Bowl win and it's very cool to lock up our franchise quarterback for another yeah. 12 years. But at the same time, I mean, like, are they going to – how is the ring ceremony? What's it even going to be? Like, are there even going to be fans there to witness it? Like, Yikes. it just – it's sad. I mean, you wanted a, a rockin' full Arrowhead crowd Thursday no night football, first game of the season. And for all eight home games. Yeah, and now it seems like that for sure is not going to happen. Um, but hopefully we'll get a football season, man. That's, yeah, uh, that's that's all we can hope for now. That's it. That's the only thing that's on the line at this point. Um, and, you know, Arrowhead's such a uh, an advantage – for the chiefs. I mean, this is the first thing that COVID has really taken away from the chiefs because a lot of the other things that took away from every team were, you know, advantages for the chiefs because it was, you know, less training camp and, and, you know, there's no preseason now they cancel all the preseason games. So it's just going to, they're just going to throw them into the fire week one, which again, you would think benefits the chiefs, but this is the first thing that I saw that was really, it's, it's going to even the playing field, which as the defending champs, you don't want the playing field to be even. I bet it still won't be that even, though. Welcome in, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. It is July 8th that we are recording this for you. We've got some news. We've got some mailbag questions. We have a full mailbag coming next week, so we will put out a Twitter thread and solicit some suggestions for that. we got some people that slid into our DMs. we got some new Birds of War, Taylor. And we also have, of course, Chiefs-Titans, the AFC Championship game. 2019 season on our way punching our ticket to the Super Bowl so we are going to talk about that we're going to talk about the matchup that produced that uh, outcome Titans over the Ravens so we'll talk about that a little bit and then we're going to go through the game that put us in the Super Bowl it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun but let's start Taylor with the news 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 news, news. news. we already did our emergency podcast which we was did. great that's that's Please go check have it we out. done uh, have we done an emergency podcast before we was that did, our first one uh, the draft Draft That's coverage right. episode right. 10 was an emergency podcast. It, it wasn't really an emergency. No, we, we planned it was it. a it regularly was, scheduled podcast. It was just, uh, we did it the night of the draft. It this was a, quick was a fire. true emergency podcast. And like Taylor said, go ahead and check it out. We had the benefit of not recording that until after we both got done with work, since we do this as a hobby. Uh, so we did have the opportunity to go through all of the contract terms, which a lot of those early reaction podcasts did not have. So Go check it out. It'll be useful even if you've listened to all those pods. Uh, definitely go check that one out. But we did want to revisit the biggest news of the offseason, I mean, since we won the Super Bowl, really, and just go through some additional takeaways we had from that. So our Patrick Mahomes presser on Monday, and I know we've got a couple of different things in here that we kind of wanted to 
call out, just some things that stood out. I guess number one, Taylor, is that it sounds like Andy Reid is going to be around for a while. Let's roll, baby. He he, he cracks me up. He, uh, you know, we hadn't really had a good beat on this, I think, until recently, because it, he, it's not really something that he's comfortable talking about a lot. Um, he's always kind of an in-the-moment coach and, and all of his coach speak, but they, they did mention to him that, you know, this is a long contract. Where do you see yourself throughout the length of this contract? And the great quote that he had was, if this takes me into my 70s, let's roll, which is just so Andy. And uh, It's perfect, yeah. It, it is. And it, it's just one of those things that he is, easy to say, the second most important piece of this behind Pat. I mean, absolutely. And they're probably one and one A, really. For and, sure, yeah. And the fact that um, he was so relaxed about saying something like that. If he had been thinking like, man, I only got two or three years left, he would have played that a little bit closer to the vest. Um, but he doesn't seem like he wants to go anywhere, which is the first ingredient for staying around. So it was great. Yeah, and I think what jumped out about that too was not only Andy's quote, which was just perfect Andy, but like Mahomes talked about it too. I mean, like they asked him about it. And I mean, what he said was, yeah, I mean, you know, he kind of said he's planning to stick around for quite a while. And when you're, you're the quarterback of the team and you're, you're signing essentially, you know, I mean, you're signing a 10 year extension, you're going to be in Kansas city for the next 12 years. And Andy Reid is your head coach, the only head coach you've ever known. And obviously one of the greatest head coaches of all time, that would be very important to him. I imagine in negotiating the deal. And it sounds like Andy was pretty frank with him that he plans to be around for quite a while. And, you know, I don't know that that is necessarily a surprise, but you know, there were some people that were really reading into, for example, at the parade, he said, let's, you know, let's do this one more time or whatever it is, or, you know, whatever his statements were, you know, people just always love to read in between the lines with Andy because he's such, he's such a a blank wall Uh in front of the media by design. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's obviously it's great news. This, um, this is a good opportunity to pull out a question we had from the DMs from at Tyler Lansdowne. Thanks for listening, Tyler, and welcome to the Birds of War. Uh-huh. Congrats, Tyler. You are a great contributor. Welcome aboard. Tyler's question is, with Pat's new contract, will he outlast Andy? 12 years is a long time. Andy will be ready to retire at some point. He's going to be 74 when this contract is up. Yeah. I mean, the math definitely favors Patrick retiring after Andy does. I mean, for sure. But... Yeah. You know, I mean, that that quote about him coaching into his 70s, I I was a little bit surprised by that. And, I mean, you know, Pete Carroll, I think, is the oldest coach in the NFL right now. And he's in his – I want to say he's in his 70s. Uh, Late 60s, I think. He's 68 right now. And, I mean, you know, Pete Carroll's Carroll's not going anywhere. No. Um, you know, Don Shula coached forever. There, There is some precedent for it. Um, not as much with football coaches. In baseball, there have been tons of baseball managers that have coached. Ancient. Into, yeah, I think Jack yeah. McKeon maybe coached was, into his 80s. Yeah, yeah, he was. For the Marlins, yeah. he just was like uh, Jim Leland, you know, with the Tigers. But, I mean, Tyler, I think there's a good chance that he at least is here for the next six, seven years. Yeah. What makes it really interesting, though, is, I mean, we talked about before, you know, his succession plan and, you know, whether it would be a guy like Biennemi, who obviously should have been Hopefully a head coach by now. succeeding Andy. Right, exactly. But then even a guy like Mike Kafka. Yeah. I mean, you know, if Andy's going to be here for six or seven more years, they're probably not going to be able to keep Mike Kafka for six or seven more years, you know, waiting in the wings. It's probably going to be somebody that we've never even heard of who's going to be the next coach of the Chiefs because Andy, it sounds like Andy likes – being the head coach of the Super Bowl champs. Right. 
Well, and also he has done such a good job at grooming assistants to be head coaches. That's kind of one of his calling cards. I mean, he is yeah, a, sure. he is a godfather in the NFL and to, and, and successful coaches, not just Belichick coaches, but actually, you know, go on and do their own thing successfully. And that's just something that I could see for the next six or seven years. I could see the chiefs rolling in two, three, four coordinators, just like they have the past couple of years, because at the end of the day, these people are still taking their cues from Andy. They are still learning from Andy. They're still, the designs are all Andy's. I mean, he is the brains and regardless of if he wants to teach someone football and how to coach and how to call the plays and stuff, they, they don't need someone else. They just need Andy. So that's right. Um, I think it's a good situation for him to be able to mentor a ton of guys, get a ton of friends around the league, a ton of guys that are in his corner if he needs something. And I mean, he's just so well connected and liked that um, I don't really see him keeping an, a coordinator around for, I mean, the enemy is, has overstayed his welcome already. And that's a credit to the enemy. That's, right. you know, it he is. should yeah. be out coaching another team because he's ready. And I think most people that have observed the enemy agree with that. And he probably will get a job extremely soon. I would imagine this is his last year with the chiefs. I sure hope for his sake. Um, so all that is to say that um, you're probably right that the next head coach of the chiefs, we probably have not met him yet. We probably, I mean, if it is Kafka and he sticks around, for another hopefully six, seven, eight years, that would be unprecedented really in Andy's coaching tenure. So another takeaway, we just kind of wanted to to go through some things that sort of stood out from the press. We're still thinking about this deal. I mean, this we're was, still thinking <laughs> about it. I mean, yeah. it, this was this was a bombshell, yeah. and obviously we reacted to it the day of, and we we had the numbers in front of us. But the thing that I wanted to kind of kind of circle back to is this really was a win for all parties involved. Like it, it's amazing to me. You know, you look at it, and obviously there have been some people that have said, you know, it's kind of a team-friendly deal, which is a crazy thing to say <laughs> about absurd. a half-a-billion-dollar contract. But, like, when you look at the goals of each side in this negotiation, and when I had some time to come and digest this, I mean, this is the only way that all sides get what they want, right? The Chiefs, their objective, number one, is to keep Patrick Mahomes on their roster for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So, check. They did that. Their secondary goal, I mean, kind of 1A, 1B, is they want to be able to have the flexibility to surround him with good players and continue to win and be in contention. Well, you've got a 10-year deal with all this money that you can move around, and frankly, that's structured in a way that doesn't really even put outrageous cap hits until 2027. Check. You did it. So you've got Mahomes agent, Lee Steinberg. Lee Steinberg wants to have the biggest – sports contract in American sports history. Congratulations, Lee, you did it. Half a billion dollars, right? Like, and I know it's only $140 million guaranteed. I saw something the other day that maybe like something like 27 or 28 baseball contracts have had more guaranteed money than that, which is crazy, by the way. Baseball is uh, an absurd sport. Shout out to the MLB Players Union, which Uh has done a hell of a job over the years bargaining. Pretty much the most powerful union in the history of the world. But, you know, Practically speaking, and we'll talk about the guarantee mechanisms as our kind of our third point here. Practically speaking, I mean, all this money is guaranteed because they're never going to cut him. So Lee Steinberg is going to get a hell of a commission off of this deal. <laughs> no it's going to support Lee's children and their children and their children's children. So kudos to Lee. Check. You got what you wanted. And then finally, Pat, I mean, obviously he wants to take care of his family. Done and done for 
as long as there are, you know, generations of Mahomeses to follow. Uh, we're talking about half a billion dollars just for what he's doing on the field. Lee Steinberg, if he had a 2% commission on that, would have made $10 million. That's pretty good. That's not, pretty Not bad. And I have no idea if he has 2% commission on it. I think what I read is that the standard commission maybe for an agent is something like 8%. Nice. So quadruple million. that. That would be yeah. $40 million. That'll which work. is a pretty nice little payday. Um, plus, uh, if Lee sticks around for another 12 years on this earth, which I'm sure he will, uh, he probably can uh, negotiate another one. Well, yeah. Did you hear Veach said, you know, we, we pretty much we're expecting there to be a smaller deal at the end of this. I mean, yes, he's going to be right. 35, 36 at the end of this. That's still, you know, that's kind of middle age for a quarterback these days. It's certainly it not the old end of the scale. And, you know, so the Chiefs clearly are hundred percent bought in on Pat being a lifetime chief. And fortunately, so is he. And he's bought in on it too. And that sort of wraps up my point. I mean, for Pat, he obviously, he wanted to be here and he wanted to structure the contract in such a way that, you know, it, it made the team competitive. You know, there are some, the people that are upset about this deal, as I understand it, are agents that were hoping <laughs> he would get a percentage of the cap because huh. if anybody was ever going to do it, it was going to be Pat. And what are the odds that somebody comes along and forces a similar situation that has the amount of leverage he had in this negotiation? But I don't think he wanted it. Like, I think he wanted the Chiefs to be able to move his money around, to be able to structure the deal in such a way that they could, you know, pay for other good players, which totally makes sense. And so when you wrap it all together, I mean, that's what you get. You get a 10-year deal that keeps him in Kansas City for another 12 years and pays him, you know, on average about $40 million a year you know, over half a billion dollars, but it's a great deal for everybody involved. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful how well it worked out. And it was great to hear everybody talk about that in the presser, just the level of trust. And, you know, Brett Veach said that there was like never a contentious moment in the whole <laughs> negotiation of the contract, which it's is impossible. insane. It's, impossible. it's the biggest contract ever. Yeah, right. Like, right. How's, that, how's that possible? <laughs> the only way it's possible is with this type of relationship, with this and type with of, this type of player, with this type of person. Exactly. Right. And, and we've talked about this before, but the amount of times that the word legacy was used in this presser was and trust insane. legacy and trust. Yes, Those ex were the, exactly. Those were the key words the that they words. kept going back to because they are aware of exactly what is ahead of Pat Mahomes. They are aware exactly that they are looking at a Michael Jordan esque run through professional sports. And there is just no, no hesitation on their part to make it happen. I mean, it, it is no hesitation, no surrender, no man left behind. Exactly. Right. Thunder gun, they they basically are thunder gunning the NFL right now. <laughs> and it's, it, it's amazing that it's, it was so easy and it's amazing that it's now done and in the rearview mirror. And he is, there is just going to be no Mahomes contract talk for a long time for years. And, and it's just, it's also amazing as fans that this is our guy. We would be talking yeah. about this if it was another guy. I mean, if this sure were, we you know, yeah. a, a Rogers contract or something, I mean, we, would I mean, if this was Deshaun Watson's deal, yeah. we would have been, we would have been talking yeah. about it. Uh, that's another takeaway too. We didn't, we talked about this a little bit, but I mean, obviously this is just, uh, it's just funny to uh, now, you know, good luck negotiating a deal with Dak. Jerry, you have a week <laughs> as of the time that we're recording this and Sean Watson. Good luck with that. Bill O'Brien. Now Bill O'Brien is probably going to make this look like a good deal in like two days. <laughs> we, we remember what he did with Laramie Tunsil after oh, he traded for him guy. and didn't get an extension done and like blew out the left tackle market by like 5 million a year. Woof. 
he's going to give Deshaun $2 billion. Yeah, he is. Uh, I did want to just throw in, we're kind of talking about the win-win dynamics of this contract uh, from Chief Bearcat. Great follow if you went inside into the cap. He pointed out uh, cap hit ranks by year for this contract for quarterbacks. So in 2020, he's still the 30th highest quarterback cap hit. They nice. added Love that rookie year. deal. Yeah, they added this year, I think, $500,000 in new money, even though he signed a half a billion dollar extension, <laughs> which is hilarious. And then in 2021, it jumps up to 13th. In 2022, it goes to 7th. And then in 2023, which is still four seasons from now, it goes to 1st. But keep in mind, that's still four years away. Dak and Watson still haven't gotten paid. Tons of guys aren't even on the cap in 2023. Yeah, Lamar hasn't gotten paid. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, by the time we get to 2023, it's not going to be the highest quarterback cap hit in the NFL there's no way unless all of those guys that are signing extensions are also going to do like a backloaded deal but you know it's it's a really it's a really smart structure the average annual value of the contract is 45 million a year but the cap hit doesn't go above 45 million until 2027 right we're talking about you know new tv deals and just a, a huge expansion in the cap is what everybody's expecting hopefully covid will be Wiped out by then at least seven years from now. If not, we are. Yeah, right. Exactly. One or the other. (laughs) And the structure does bring me to one of the points that uh, Bill Barnwell on ESPN is really, really good about deep diving and and getting into a lot of the nitty gritty details on stuff like this. And he posted a lengthy breakdown of the contract from a bunch of different angles on ESPN. And one of the things that he talked about was the guarantee mechanisms that everyone has been, that's been the buzzword of this contract, is that we haven't really seen them use the phrase mechanisms uh, in NFL terms before. And essentially what it breaks down to is that while the money is not fully guaranteed off the bat, just, you know, they didn't cut him a check for $500 million right now. What they did, his yearly salaries will guarantee in previous seasons to those years. So what that means is that his... Obviously, his 2020 salary is locked in. His 2021 salary is already guaranteed because that was part of the last deal. 2022 guarantees at the start of the 2021 season. 2023 guarantees at the start of 2022. So what they did is they said, if the Chiefs are ever going to put themselves in a position where they feel that they need to cut Mahomes, which seems preposterous, but you know, a lot can happen in 12 years, um, they are going to need to eat two full years of his, of his giant salary and not just the one year. So while it's not guaranteed off the bat, they essentially said that, look, the chiefs are going to have to take a massive, massive hit in any year in this deal that they want to cut him, which is great for Pat. And it's, it's, you know, it's stability that the chiefs wanted to give him. They wanted to say, we've got your back. We trust that we're not going to do this. So like ever, ever. And just because we trust that so much, we will build in this essential floor to the contract. I mean, it is for all intents and purposes, 477 million guaranteed. I mean, that's that that's the, what it comes out to be because the chiefs are just never now they could at the very, very, very end of the deal. Let's say he wants to retire after his 10th super bowl in a row, nine years from now, <laughs> and there's still three years left on his deal. He, they could at least cut him then. I mean, you know, so they, they said that we're not just going to finish it right now, but we're certainly going to make it um, financially in our best interest to keep him around. So it was just another example of the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes being on the same page since day one. And it was 
it was beautiful to see. It's a beautiful thing. Well, Taylor, let's jump into some of these mailbag questions here. Okay. We got some uh, some spicy questions here in the DMs from some of our Birds of War. And number one, right off the bat, we had one from our man, Corey, Corey04. Question for the pod, right before 2-3 Jet Chip Wasp, Troy Aikman said, he's he's not playing well, Joe. He's uh, he's missed some open guys. He's had interceptions as a result of it, and uh, – and uh, that should have been his easiest reception of the night. My question is, was Troy Aikman drunk <laughs> during the broadcast of Super Bowl Live? And just how bad was he as an NFL QB? Hashtag Birds of War, hashtag Kaka. Corey's also been throwing around a hashtag, hashtag time to fly. Oh, yeah, time is, to fly. Uh, I like that which one Which is a lot. great. That's, we're going to have to make that like an official okay. Birds of War hashtag. I like it. Like it calls them all together. Yeah, right. That's like our bat signal, our bird yeah. signal. Uh, Corey, as far as Troy Aikman, how drunk he was during the broadcast, I've always pictured Troy as maybe more of like a pills guy, like a lewds guy. <laughs> so he probably popped a couple of lewds before he went on the air. Uh, I love your transcription, by the way. That was uh, that was very Dead lifelike. On. It made it very easy for me to read that out. He, uh, you know, he put the, the pauses in there. He put the multiple words in there, all that stuff. As far as how bad he was as an NFL QB, that's something that, you know, we don't half-ass things on this show. We're probably going to have to save that for its own segment in a future episode. But suffice it to say, he was bad. Yep. We, uh, we've talked about burning Aikman on a couple of occasions just because he's, just been, he's been an easy target. Um, he, you know, he had the whole talk to me when he has... A third rings. of my Super yeah, Bowl rings. Yeah, a third of my Super Bowl rings. We talked to him. We tried to. He, he didn't yeah, answer. We did. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, he's he's an easy target. So thank you for the question, Corey. And everyone go check out Corey's art. He rules. Uh, next, we have one from Bird of War, Andrew Whiteside at OU under SAS. And he asked us which broadcast had the best call of Wasp, TV, Kevin Harlan, or Mitch Holtis. Austin, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can't pick a favorite. If I had kids, it would be like asking me to pick a favorite child. I don't. <laughs> to me, what I what I love about Wasp is just I'm so glad we got the the Turning Points video of it, right? And all the great NFL film stuff that they do. I like the like spliced together version, right? Like you got the Mitch, you got the Harlan, you got a little Joe Buck in there, you know, just to add a little balance to it because Harlan's screaming and Mitch is screaming and Joe Buck's like complete to pill, whatever his call was. Yeah. Yeah, Just, you know, his, he does a good job though. of Kind of like, you know, he, he says, you know, the chiefs need a little Mahomes magic here. That was kind of a nice little, you know, just a nice even keeled setting of the stage. Mm -hmm. Um, What about you? What do you think? Uh, I, I, we watched it live and it was TV. So that kind of, kind of triggers my brain as sort of like, when I hear that call, I remember where I was for that call, uh, more than I do the other two for sure. So I think it, even though it's Buck, um, I think that'll probably end up being the one that sticks with me the longest because it's more of just the visceral, like the actual call of the game that I was watching. That being said, Harlan and Mitch both killed it. Like you said, um, the, the emotion from both of those guys was so apparent because they were calling a team that they were very, you know, Mitch more than Kevin at this point in his career. But Kevin obviously has a long storied history with the Chiefs and he knew the emotion. I mean, the same way that when we were talking about I'm calling both games and all that, like Kevin Harlan is the guy that if you want a national voice calling the Chiefs, he's the guy you want. Mitch just deserved it so much. He, he put in so much work over the years for this team and he just deserved to be able to call 
his his team winning the Super Bowl. So I I love both of their calls. I think I probably have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I I just like it it just sort of hit me. I don't know, a couple weeks ago, maybe for the first time, when Mitch called his three, I think it was his 300th game with the Chiefs, they presented him with a game ball, and he was doing, you know, he did a little speech or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, he was pretty pretty emotional, as you mm-hmm. would expect. As he gets, yeah. And, uh, you know, he said on the broadcast, like, people ask me all the time, like, what's your favorite call that you've ever done? And he said, it hasn't happened yes. yet. Yes, yes, that gets me, that gives me chills just thinking about it. And it did happen. But it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> and it did, I mean, that yeah. was in 2018. That was just last year. Yeah. I think midway through last season. So uh, shout knew. out to Mitch, he's, he's the he goat. Knew. So uh, second part of that, draft, rank your favorite Chiefs calls of all time. That's going to have to be, we're going to have to, we, we, can't, we can't draft right now. We have too much that we have to get to. We're going to have mm-hmm. to, you know, but, but that's for sure going to go on the list. Uh, we've got one from Ian Freeman at the Philosophian. If you combine the Chiefs and Bills, shout out to our COVID-19 episode a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, you get the chills, best C-19 team, period. That is pretty good, the chills. Yeah. I like that. If you could insert yourself into the head of one player during a game, John Malkovich style, other than Pat, who would you choose? <laughs> this is a fascinating question. What What do you think? It is. It's a lot of fun. Um, it would be a lot of fun to to just see the level of athleticism from that point of view. Uh, the first person I thought, especially because he said other than Pat, who would clearly be the number one answer, right, was course. Tyreek Hill. I mean, I think that yeah. – being able to move that much faster than everyone else and to see the game at the speed that he has to see it in in order to process it and run his routes and blow by people and stuff. I mean, I just think that would be that would be like a like a Disney VR thrill ride. I mean, it would oh just, God, you know, amazing. just imagine being in his head and being able to just feel the the rush of power and speed that he has. I mean, he he's the type of athlete that you don't get on every NFL team. And in fact, you don't really get on any other NFL team. So give me, give me time. That's a great answer. You would be like, I mean, it literally would be like, from my perspective, I would literally feel like a superhero, right? Yes. Like I'm the flash. Yes. Like this guy can run so much faster than me. <laughs> it has to be fake. That would be fun. I was going to go with uh, Tyron. Uh, just sure. because I would love to uh, see what's going on up there. <laughs> you know, just the, the as kind of the defensive leader of the team, the defensive signal caller and kind of the leader on that side of the ball. Defensive quarterback, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, defensive quarterback, we can't take the actual quarterback. So, you know, being able to do the uh, the I'm Too Smart celebrations, that would be kind of fun. I, I would – I get way into that. You know, yeah, so. for sure. And also we would be remiss if we did not mention that in our previous bird of war um, inauguration ceremony, we did not mention Ian Freeman. I had him written down on my list and I skipped him over on the list. So Ian, you are obviously a member of the birds of war. Congratulations. We told you last week, but here's your official shout out. Appreciate you, buddy. We have one from bird of war. Praise be Mahomes. Ka-ka! For your next mailbag, we've gotten a lot of Chiefs songs, especially the last couple of years. What are the best Chiefs versions of songs? Praise Be Mahomes says that his personal favorite is Take Me Home, Pat Mahomes. Mm. That was put out by The Ringer. Banger. And honorable mention to Tech Nine. Uh, Praise Be Mahomes. I am 100% with you that Take Me Home, Pat Mahomes, it's a John Denver Country Roads parody uh reworking i'll say because you know it's not it's not meant to be funny and it's not funny it's no. it's a moving beautiful piece of music and they performed it live you know in the super bowl 
pre-parties or whatever. There's a, there's a good live version of it floating around the internet. It's great. I love it. And it is one of my favorite chief songs. It's hard to do good sports songs, but you know, that's a, that's a good one. It's a banger. It is hard to do them. I oh, personal out, shout out. Yes, personal shout out to me. My You're favorite have to put Chief the, song uh, link is in the my show own. Notes. I will. I will tweet out a link to this video, which I've already tweeted out before. But um, I am a huge Will Smith fan. And as soon as the Chiefs were going to Miami, I wrote exact parody lyrics to that song and cut it, cut together a little video. And, uh, you know, I felt, felt pretty proud of how it ended oh, it's up. great. And uh, so I have a going to Miami version uh, that I would – I will tweet and you all should make sure you check it out or you can YouTube Chiefs Miami and you will, well, that might come up with some Dolphins games, but Chiefs go into Miami and that'll, that'll get you there. That was a great question. We appreciate that. And we've got one from another bird of war, Jordan Scarron at Mr. J 1128. Man, I've never been more proud and honored to be a bird of war. Thank ah! you so much for the shout out. I was having a conversation the other day with someone and would love to get you and Taylor's thoughts. If we lived in a world where we still followed the barter system, whether that be pelts, crops, that sort of thing. <laughs> how much do you consider your life to be worth? <laughs> then how much is the Chris Jones contract worth? How much is the Mahomes contract worth? <laughs> I love our listeners. I, it's an amazing question, Jordan. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Taylor. I, I mean, I don't know if you – how can you put a value on human life? <laughs> I think it depends on whose perspective is bartering my life. Because if you're saying if there's some sort of like formula – and you know, certain things are worth certain amounts of pelts and all that stuff. And you've got some computer that looks at my life and says it's worth this amount. I think that's that um, answer and my own answer would probably wildly different. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I would not be able to barter my own life for pelts because I don't know what it would be like to sell my life. But I think it, he says worth and worth. I'm going to take myself out of the equation. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to barter my own life. Away. No, but if someone were to pick your life and barter it, I'm going to go with like 14 bear pelts and a field of wheat. Uh, I would say I would uh, probably demand barter in the form of mink pelts. Ah, smart. Uh, mink is very valuable and very rare is what I've been He's doing. This Russian about. hat thing. A mink coat, a real mink coat. Uh, I would probably do a mink, uh, some some sort of mink. I would demand payment in mink. And, uh, you know, wheat is good, but that's kind of not really a sexy cash crop. at all. <laughs> I would probably demand uh, barter in the form of precious metals, like uh, some uranium. Mink and uranium. You're so pretentious. Yeah. mink and uranium. <laughs> that's exactly right. As far as Chris Jones... Uh, my God, I mean, what, what could we even barter for that? And then Patrick on top of that, I mean, well, I don't think all the, I don't think all the pelts in the world add up to Pat Mahomes contract. I don't think he literally, I think he would be kill every animal on earth and skin them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, and Chris Jones is, if we're going back to football for a second, I'm, I'm curious what type of deal he will eventually get. Um, whether that be with the Chiefs or after he plays out his franchise tag and then signs a long-term deal with someone else. Either way, um, you know, you got to figure he's going for like four years, 85 or like five years, 110 or something. I mean, you know, he, he's going to, he's going to demand a pretty hefty sum. So that being said, you know, maybe like a, maybe like a small 
nations worth of like a year of GDP of a small nation, something like that. Like all the, all of the crops that Bolivia will produce in a year, that'll be Chris Jones contract. Um, I'm doing some quick math here. A, you doing a pelt conversion, a top quality Western coyote pelt. <laughs> you are, I was, I was kidding. From 70 to $100, which if we wanted to convert that to us currency and then, you know, uh, put it in the context of a $500 million Patrick Mahomes deals, <laughs> that would be 5 million coyote pelts, but top quality pelts, top quality coyote pelts. Um, Let's see how many coyotes there are in the United States. Smart. Five million. It looks like five million. No, no. there's only, <laughs> oh, no, there's not. 400,000 coyotes are exterminated every year. So probably more than that live in the U.S. Probably. I'm saying if you killed every coyote in the United States <laughs> it wouldn't and, up. and offered their pelts, we probably still would not be looking at the value of Patrick Mahomes' contract. That was a great question. I really quite enjoyed that. Do you want to read our next one off here? Uh, yes. So championship swagger at Brandon four, two, two. We first have a special surprise for you. Welcome to the birds of war. Thank you for your longtime contributions to the mailbag. We appreciate you, Brandon. Uh, he asked us if the chiefs were to structure Patrick Mahomes contract, similar to Sammy Watkins, full of incentives, not likely to be obtained. What would that look like based on normal quarterback stats? How would those compare to the records of said new, not likely to be obtained incentives? Now this, we got this question before Monday's news. So the only actual incentives in the deal hilariously are for Super Bowl appearances and MVP wins. AKA likely to be obtained. Yes. Yes. (laughs) There's nothing stat based in there, but just real quick, uh, because I felt like this would be educational for our listeners. I have a breakdown for how incentives are classified as likely to be earned or not likely to be earned. I had to Google this just to make sure that I had it exactly right. So they're considered likely to be earned or not likely to be earned based on the team or the player's prior year performance. So if a player has a $500,000 incentive, for accumulating 10 sacks in the upcoming season, and he had 10 sacks in the previous season, then the incentive is automatically considered likely to be earned. It doesn't matter if that's his career high in sacks, whatever. If he did it the one year, the next year it is considered to be likely that he will do it again. So then if he did not record 10 sacks and he's got a 10 sack incentive the next year, it's considered not likely to be earned, which is kind of weird language because like that's not how probabilities actually work at all. But that is how they work in the context of NFL incentives. So if we're going to do a pat, you know, incentive structure here where we're classifying them as, and so the way that the, the important distinction there is if they are considered likely to be earned, and then they actually are earned, they get a, they have to be paid out from that year's cap, basically. Mm-hmm. So you basically have to budget in your cap the space for those incentives to be paid out if they are classified as likely to be earned. If they're classified as not likely to be earned and then the player does it, then that gets rolled over to the next year's cap and they get paid out of the next year's cap. So then you still have the ability to kind of free up some cap space down the road if you have to do that. So the meat of this question for me, Taylor, is the normal QB stats versus the Patrick Mahomes QB stats, which is obviously right up our alley. And so the normal QB stats, the average quarterback in 2019, just, you know, if you made a composite of everybody in the league, he had a completion percentage of 63.5%. All right, not bad. Uh, 3,759 yards. Eh. Yeah. 24.9 touchdown passes. Okay, all right, that's fine. 12.8 interceptions, getting a little high. 
7.2 yards per attempt, a 90.4 pass rating, which by the way, higher than is like, Oh, it's like way higher than John Elway's. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's higher than like, uh, they had a 79.5 or six or something, or it was pretty below sure 80. It's higher than I'm pretty sure it's higher than Dan Marino's career pass rating, which Probably I think so. is 88 or 89. So anyway, the pass rating has gone way up. Uh, average Joe quarterback took 39.9 sacks. So Patrick Mahomes in 2019, and bear in mind that he missed two and a half games, 65.9 completion percentage, that beats the 63.5. 4,031 yards, that beats 37.59. 26 touchdowns, that barely edges out 24.9 touchdown passes, although, again, he missed two and a half games. Five interceptions is obviously way better than the Joe average quarterback throwing 12.8 interceptions. Yeah. Uh, 8.3 yards per attempt, over a full yard better than our average quarterback, and then a 105.3 passer rating, which obviously blows away the 90.4, and 17 sacks, like 17. less than half of the sacks. Less than half of the sacks of the average quarterback. I mean, he's obviously crushing a league average quarterback in every category every year. And his 16-game average, if we were to base some kind of incentive on that, 65.9 completion percentage, 4,858 yards. So this is his average per 16 games. And then touchdowns, 39 touchdowns a year pretty good. for 16 games, nine interceptions, pretty good little ratio there, mm-hmm. 8.6 yards per attempt, 108.9 passer rating, just 23 sacks. He's amazing. So obviously he's going to blow away any average quarterback, any incentive structure where whatever you set the numbers at, you know, they're going to have to be higher than that in order for it to be classified as not likely to be earned. But it flip-flops every year, right? So this is the the reason, I think, part of the reason why we don't see a lot of statistical-based incentives in his contract. Uh, we see these rolling guarantees and the roster guarantees. That gives you predictability. And the reason we don't see a lot of incentives, unlike with Sammy Watkins deal, is that, you know, Sammy's only going to be a chief for one year. So either he's going to hit those incentives, those incentives are classified not likely to be earned. If he hits those, they get paid out in the 2021 cap fine you know then they're off the books pat's going to be in kansas city for 12 more years so by the time the new money starts rolling in in 2022 you know you don't want to have a lot of money tied up in incentives that could go on the cap one year or they could go on the cap another year right like yeah you don't have the ability to classify them at the start of the deal whether they're likely to be earned or not like that that depends on what happens in the future so there just isn't the predictability there and when you're dealing with these huge cap numbers you really want to have it so that you know exactly how much you're going to pay every year, which the chiefs do uh, with the exception of the 20, it's what 23 million possible or 26 25. million possible in incentives. Yeah, oh, it's 2.5 over 10 years, 25 million. Yeah. So 25 million possible in incentives. That's uh, obviously percentage wise, a very small part of this deal and something where if for whatever reason, you know, and it's MVP and going to the Super Bowl. So that would be based on <laughs> yeah. whether if he doesn't win the MVP and go to the Super Bowl, then those are classified as not likely to be earned. If he does do those things, then they're classified as likely to be earned and they automatically hey man, go in the cap. They will gladly take that hit every year. They will. The for, Chiefs will be thrilled yeah, sure. to pay him $25 million to be 10-time Super Bowl and MVP. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely will. And, and they probably have already earmarked that money little bit of extra budgeting in the cap every year. We have one more announcement with the Birds of War before we get into our game recap. Our listener, Brian Lefebvre, you win. 
You are in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. You are a bird of war, my friend. Thank he you totally so much for off. your contributions. He totally got off. Uh, Brian Lefebvre, we appreciate your support. We laugh every time we see your ABI on Twitter, which is the, uh, the got-off face of Brian Lefebvre. Go watch that episode of It's Always Sunny. Frank's back in business. It's a classic. Let's talk some football. Football, man. This game blew me away. Uh, this was something that the Chiefs were counting down to since the year before. This was this was since the moment that D Ford was offsides and the Chiefs lost the previous AFC Championship game. They were going to get back to this spot and they were going to do it differently and they were going to win it this time. And the Titans, oh, we probably should before we yeah get we into had this to talk game, about yeah we need to get into why we're playing the Titans and yeah. not <laughs> and not any other team, including going to Baltimore. Yeah, why we're playing at Arrowhead? Why we get to have the AFC Championship game at home for the second year in a row? So, yeah. what do you remember about watching the Titans' twenty-eight twelve victory in Baltimore the night before the Chiefs played the Texans? So, I flew out for the Texans game as we talked about last week and we talked about before on the podcast because I live in Colorado now. It's unfortunate, but it can't be avoided. So the night before I was going to fly out to Kansas City on my early ass flight on Frontier Airlines, shout out to them. They were great back when we could fly in airplanes. Mm. Uh, I was at the uh, the Denver Rodeo and Stock Show. So we were kind of, you know, palling around the rodeo, whatever. The, um, the 49ers Vikings game was on. That was the afternoon game. And it ended up being a total blowout. And so like, whatever, I was at a rodeo. I didn't really need to check my phone that much. Didn't really care. But obviously, this game had very important implications for the Chiefs. So we kind of were back uh, munching on some steak and right around the corner from the, you know, steak restaurant inside the rodeo was a bar which was playing the game. So I would just excuse myself. You know, my cell reception wasn't great, so I couldn't just be glued to my phone. I would just excuse myself and I would just go out, you know, catch snippets of this game. And I remember walking around. We actually were there's like an art gallery there at a rodeo. It's kind of weird, but... Uh, the, the moment that the Titans went up 14 to nothing in this game, uh, which was a 45 yard pass from Khalif Raymond from midfield from Ryan Tannehill, just burning his guy. And this was after the John U. Smith, butt touchdown. Yep. I mean, that was when I was like, well, okay. I mean, it's 14 to nothing. You know I mean? We went through this a couple weeks ago with the dolphins over the Patriots, you know, like that's kind of what it felt to be honest, like that we would need a Dolphins Patriots level of miracle sure. to unseat the Ravens because this is a team that went 14 and two and won their last 12 games in a row. And we're just blowing teams out. I mean, they blew out the Texans 41 to seven. They beat the Patriots by a couple of scores, you know, like this was a team that was absolutely rolling and the Titans just, they, they did exactly what they needed to do to have a prayer of winning the game. They got out to an early lead, and they just put the Ravens in a really uncomfortable position. They did. They played to their strengths, and um, like you said, the Ravens had won 12 games in a row, so they were this juggernaut of you know unstoppable Lamar Jackson. And the Titans, for their part, um, they played a very sound, well-coached game. They didn't make mistakes. Um, it was just really, really exactly what they needed a week after coming off defeating the Patriots in the playoffs. So the Titans were feeling confident. They were feeling good. They just went into Foxborough and won. Why couldn't they go into Baltimore and win? And then as often happens in these games, a lot of the times, if you start off confident, you know, if things go your way early, you can kind of build that up. You know, the, the first Ravens 
possession was a Lamar Jackson pick. He intended to throw to Mark Andrews and Kevin Byard made a really nice play on it to start off the Titans with a turnover off the first Ravens possession. Titans go down, they get the butt, the butt touchdown, as he said, to Johnny Smith. They go up, Lamar, they go for it on fourth and one and stop. Lamar is stopped on fourth and one. So immediately two possessions for the Ravens and they give it up twice. And then that was kind of where, as soon as they hit that long Khalif Raymond touchdown, which was the first play after Lamar got stopped yeah. on fourth and one. Yeah. So it was a, they just went straight for the throat and they I got mean, it. And then from there, crazy. a rushing team was forced to pass and to play uncomfortable and to, you know, not do things the way that the Titan or that the Ravens have been used to doing things. And it just steamrolled. And, you know, Derek Henry threw a touchdown in this game to Corey Davis. Um, they were just kind of toying with it. They went up 28 to six before Baltimore eventually came back with 11 minutes left and scored a touchdown, but that was all, that was the rest of the scoring. So it was, um, I was thrilled. I was thrilled that the Chiefs weren't going to have to go on the road for the AFC Championship game and play a very, very tough Baltimore team. I didn't really think much of the Titans. I know they had just defeated the Patriots and Ravens, but like they were nine and seven on the regular season and they had Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Give me that team all day. I don't care if it's Derrick Henry. I don't care if they have a good defense. That's the type of team that I feel good about the Chiefs playing and um, they they got it done. And it was it was thrilling to go into that Texans game and know that the Chiefs had a home AFC championship game on the line if they defeated the Texans. Yeah, I mean, the the Texans had, or the, excuse me, the Titans had beaten the Patriots 20 to 13, but it was 14 to 13 before yeah. the, the pick six that Brady threw. And Ryan Tannehill threw for 72 yards in that game. Right. Then they beat the Ravens 28 to 12. Brian Tannehill threw for 88 yards on 14 pass attempts. And Derrick Henry did rush 30 times for 195 yards. But like, they were outgained by 230 yards by the Ravens in this game. You know, Lamar threw the ball 59 times, which is obviously not how they're built to win. No. And they, they turned it over essentially seven times. They had two picks, a fumble, and then they were 0-4 on fourth down. So, I mean, you're essentially talking about seven turnovers. And Tennessee had none. So that's the difference in the game. But, like, Tennessee, you know, it didn't feel like they were doing anything that we couldn't stop, right? right. And you – especially after the – the Texans game, the way that we won that game. And if you haven't listened to it yet, check out last week's episode so that you can relive that with us. It was, it was a fun time, but yeah, I, I had the utmost confidence coming into this game that the chiefs were going to pull it out. So uh, let's, let's set the stage here. Uh, Obviously the chiefs are coming off of a blowout win in which they were down 24 to nothing. And the Titans are coming off of, I mean, two upsets over, you know, a team that we thought was going to be a two seed. And then the team that was the one seed and both of them on the road, Chris Jones was back for this game. And that was obviously a huge boost. The chiefs finally, you know, after having Kelsey banged up the previous week and Chris Jones being so banged up that he couldn't play the previous week, both of them were healthy. Both of them were active for this game and the Titans came in, they go down on their first possession and the Titans had been outrageously efficient in the red zone. Like they hadn't kicked a field goal in like seven weeks, seven weeks, seven weeks. It had been their kicker, their kicker hadn't even attempted. attempted. This kicker had not even attempted a field goal yet. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's Greg correct. Joseph. Yep. This is his first field goal attempt for the Titans. And he'd been playing on the team for, for months. Yeah. But they come down into chiefs territory and they're driving on the first drive of the game. And you know, some of that porous defense that we saw at different times throughout the year, 
we kind of saw it on that opening drive. And then on third down, Chris Jones taps into the game, <laughs> gets pressure, forces an overthrow, and the Titans have to kick their first field goal in two months. And it's three to nothing, but it feels like, you know, that's a win for the Chiefs. It was a huge win. It was, um, you know, they had – Henry looked decent on that. He only had um, nine yards rushing on the um, on the drive. And so they the Chiefs bottled him up well. And then, like you said, a very efficient team. They forced a field goal. Chiefs are thinking, all right, yeah, we just scored – A field goal from the Kansas City 12, too. I mean, exactly. Was... And the Chiefs are thinking, look, we just scored 51 last week. If you're going to kick field goals, you're going to get blown <laughs> out. Now, obviously – that didn't happen. Uh, the Chiefs started off very similarly to how they started off against the Texans. Uh, they started off with a, a pass play that Pat ended up having to scramble and only take two yards before getting pushed out of bounds. And then he was sacked on the very next play. So on third and 10, he had a, a pass incomplete to Kelsey that Kelsey could have grabbed. Um, wasn't quite nearly as egregious of a drop as the one that started off against the Texans, but it was certainly a catchable ball. And so the Chiefs, go three and out and everyone's kind of looking around going, come on guys, come on. You got a running team on the other side, kick it into gear. Yeah. I mean, it was, it wasn't exactly the same script as the previous week because they were only down three to nothing and it wasn't as egregious to drop as you said, but it was still a disappointing start. And then the Titans get the ball back and march down the field. They ended up with a relatively good field position and then ended up taking it all the way back down for a touchdown. And we saw a lot of Derrick Henry on that drive to the left side for 11, right side for five yards, two yards, one yard. And then he ended up plowing into the end zone after John U. Smith caught a 22 yard pass to kind of From the wild the range. They kind of used the, the Kelsey play that the chiefs used against the Patriots where exactly right. he lines up in wildcat. He fakes a little, you know, a, a zone read handoff to one to the right. And then he scoots around left and he was untouched. So now it's, it's 10 to nothing. And obviously we're not nervous because we came back from 24 to nothing the previous week, but you know, you wanted to see a little bit of urgency from our guys. And fortunately we got it. Yeah. And the chiefs had only had the ball one time. So it was, you know, it wasn't exactly like things were dire by any means, but you wanted to see him kick it into high gear. And then they just, this was, this was a pretty methodical drive. Um, they, they marched down and had a quick little pass to Damien and then Damien rushed for the first, first down of the game for three yards. And then uh, Pat hit Tyreek 26 yards on a really, really just a Ty just outworked his man in the secondary and just came back and, and got a really nice ball. And then, on third and 10, uh, Pat hit Travis for eight, and that set up a fourth and two from the 28 of the Texans or the Titans. And after the Chiefs called the timeout, they just had a really quick little uh, hook play by Kelsey that he got the he got the two yards he needed, got the first down. And then, you know, now they're in the red zone and a little McCole Hardman uh, shovel pass. And then it was Damian Williams. And finally, Pat uh, with another shovel, uh, like a little jet sweep type of shovel pass to Tyreek. It was technically a pass, but it was basically a sweep. And Tyreek found the hole around the left side and was way faster than everyone. And now it's 10-7 and game on. Yeah, and I, I mean, you mentioned this drive was methodical, but there was a fourth down conversion in there that they needed to get. And fortunately for the Chiefs, I mean, we saw them – handle fourth down with really some remarkable efficiency during the regular season and then into the playoffs. 
Yeah, the Chiefs were nine of thirteen in the regular season and the playoffs on fourth down, and nine of thirteen. Nine what, of thirteen, which inclu- that is sixty nine point two. Nice. Very nice. nice, and that does include the fourth down throwaway pass in the Super Bowl, where there was no attempt at making a first down. So it was basically nine out of twelve, which basically is seventy five percent. That's not as nice, though. It's not nearly as nice as sixty nine percent, and uh, that would lead all of the NFL in first down percentage on fourth down. So they were. As everything else with the Chiefs offense, they were extremely efficient on fourth down as well. It certainly paid off in this game and on that drive. So that pulled the Chiefs to within 10 to 7. And then they now came. Now they got to stop uh, the Titans. Exactly. And they unfortunately were not able to do that on the following drive. Titans drove down again, got a touchdown to Dennis Kelly, of all people. The heaviest touchdown reception receiver in playoff history. So. We're down 17 to seven. I mean, obviously it's not 24 to nothing, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's not ideal. It doesn't feel great. Yeah, It doesn't feel great. I mean, this game, obviously, you know, the, the mentality of being down 24 to nothing, obviously in the first playoff game, that's a horrible feeling because like you could go home. I mean, you're not even going to win a playoff game. You can go home, but like being down 17 to seven, you know, in the second quarter, isn't a big deal, except that like, this is for a trip to the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl in 50 years. And, you know, the pressure's on like it is. And as a fan, you know, obviously, this was our second year in a row being in this situation, and seeing the Chiefs face a deficit. And it just I mean, the moment is so big for us as fans. You can't even imagine what it must be like for the players on the field. And to this team, to the Titans, where I kind of wrote them off at the beginning of this breakdown as, you know, I wasn't too super worried about them, but, oh, but. <laughs> they they are the team that gets a lead and holds on to the lead. That's their, that's their whole game plan for success. Now they weren't, they still lost seven games before this, so they weren't exactly always successful at doing that. But um, if they have a 10 point lead and the best running back in football, which a lot of people argued that Derrick Henry was and he was coming off of an NFL record three straight games of 180 yards rushing going into this game. So like he was as on fire as a running back can be. And the Chiefs hadn't really shown, especially after the most recent touchdown drive by the Titans, that they were in much of a position to do much against Derrick Henry. And, you know, you kind of could see a situation where much like the earlier losses to the Colts and to the Texans, where they, the Chiefs just didn't have an opportunity to score because the other team just ran the ball down their throats and bled all the clock out. You know, yeah. there was kind of that, like, panic mode of, like, oh, is that going to happen in this game too? Yeah, and I thought you were actually going to go a different direction with that, which was that people were saying coming to this game that for some reason Andy Reid could not beat the Titans. His record against huh. the Titans is his worst against any NFL franchise, Yeah, which is super weird. I think he was, like, one in one six and against the Titans. I think it was one in eight, eight yeah. coming into this game. And – not only that, but obviously the Chiefs' last loss before this game was to the Titans. And in just a horrible game that every time we bring it up, no, we stop. vow never to speak stop. of it again. <laughs> Don't do it. Move on. <laughs> somehow we keep Move going back to it. it. But then obviously the the Titans were, you know, one of our foibles in recent Chiefs playoff history. Uh, Marcus Mariota and the self-touchdown pass. Jesus. And, you know, Travis Kelsey getting injured with Pat on the sideline all that. So, you know, there was, there was a moment of hesitation there. I, I, I'm not going to say that I was extremely worried, but, you know, I, I, yeah, I was sweating a little bit. I was sweating a little bit. Yeah, for sure. 
but then obviously the Chiefs did what the Chiefs continued to do throughout the whole postseason, which was face a, a 10 point or more hole and start digging themselves right out of it. And yeah, this next drive was outrageous. I it mean, was. It, it's, Hardman it, with a 35 yard return. And yeah. then you've got a, uh, a legal contact, a nice little penalty on Kelsey, and then 24 yards to Demarcus Robinson, 13 yards to Sammy, 20 yards to Tyreek for a touchdown. I mean, mm. just surgical. Yeah, surgical, just deep drives, perfect passes, came down, brought it to within three. And this was when, obviously, we're, we're getting into – I'm getting chills just thinking yep. about it because we're almost to – We're almost there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest moment in probably our lives as Chiefs fans, I mean, that play. Uh, but we do have to give the, the Titans <laughs> their drive here. They, they had a little – they had a three and out after the Chiefs – got down the field and you know we talked about this we will talk about it in the Super Bowl um, when we recap that in two weeks but you know the the defense it wasn't just that the defense was better I hate the word clutch and I hate momentum Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. there are verifiably there are moments in all the playoff games where the defense or the special teams just stepped up in a huge spot where it's like man if we can just get the ball back we can get the ball back here you know so the Titans got the ball with you know four minutes left in the game or four minutes left in the half rather right and this is a ground and pound team i mean like (laughs) you didn't know if the chiefs were even going to get the ball back before halftime and we were going to get it in the second half but you didn't know if you were going to get the ball back and chiefs defense steps up and forces a three and out uh and the chiefs get the ball back with 151 left in the second or the first half and chris jones was huge on that three and out he had a stuff of derrick henry for one yard on their first one and then he and suggs combined for stuffing him for no gain on the second down so now you know a ground and pound team is faced with third and nine and they couldn't make it happen there i mean that was a, a exactly like you said that was such a momentum shift for the defense to be able to come in there and and assert their authority that, no, you are not going to run down our throats every time you have the ball. You are not just going to hand it off to Derrick Henry and win the game. You are going to have to go out there and earn this thing. And we're going to give the ball back to our offense with two minutes left. And unlike your team that got the ball back with four minutes left, they can actually do something with it. And boy, did they. Boy, did they. Uh, this was, this was. I mean, what can you say about the run except that like that was the moment really and we've drafted these you should go check out our our previous episode where we drafted uh pat place and this was obviously very high on the list i think you took this either second or third it was in the top three the run i believe i took 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 wasp wasp was number one overall yeah and and then then i went with the run and um fourth and nine i think fourth and nine yeah as the other two yeah so i mean look this was this was a defining Patrick Mahomes play, and it will be for his entire career. I don't care if he goes and wins ten more Super Bowls. This will be when he ascended from mortal to god. I mean, this was this was absolutely out of this world, out of this world, Jim Nance. Exactly, and and you know, not to forget that the previous minute thirty, where he starts on his own fourteen yard line with a minute fifty one to go, <laughs> and just boom, boom, pass, pass. But I mean, he was just on fire he went 17 yards eight yards 18 yards seven yards and then after he hit seven yards with his legs too seven yards with his legs exactly and then when he hit sammy for 11 to go down to the 27 with 32 seconds left he's he's dropping back tennessee drops everybody back they're they're thinking all right 
20 seconds left. Just keep them out of the damn end zone. I don't care what you give them underneath. Just keep them out of the end zone. So how do you do that? You drop everybody back, right? So he's scrambling out. He, he pulls over left. And then, man, I've seen the quarterback step out of bounds there 99.999% oh, I mean, every time, every single time. Every time. That's the, every that single is time. the absolute time that they, especially with that much time left, you know, you yeah. want to get a field goal off. It's 17 to 20 at this point. And, or yeah, and you're, at the 20, at this you're, point. you're at the 27, you're already in field goal. Right? Exactly. So everyone in their, in their, who's ever played the game steps out of bounds there, kicks a field goal, takes the tie going into half, but not Mr. Patrick Mahomes. He scampers down the left sideline. He dusts everybody. And as soon as everyone's like, oh shit, he's actually going to score here. He cuts back inside, which again, he, he, you just don't see. And he switches the ball from, outside hand to inside hand when he comes back inside. So he looks like a, just an absolute Heisman runner there. And then spin moves around three guys. They try and jar the ball out. It pops away from his body for a second as he's falling into the end zone. He gathers it. He lands, he gets up, he flexes. And everyone in the NFL knew that there was a new era upon them, And it was the Pat Mahomes era. This is one of those plays like fourth and nine that what I love about these plays is you can watch that play with you. You don't even have to watch it. You can close your eyes and you can listen to the crowd Uh and the crowd tells the entire story of what happens on the play. It's amazing. Football is, is kind of unique in this regard because you know, the plays sometimes can take so long to develop Mm -hmm. and each play can kind of tell its own story. And this one, I mean, like, you know, you see him scramble. And so, you know, there's, there's a tense moment there where it's like, is he going to get hit? Is he going to get sacked? Is he going to throw gonna it? Yeah. Is he going to throw it? Is he going to go out of bounds? There's just like, everybody's holding their breath. And then obviously when he stays in bounds, the cheer, the first cheer, you know, uh, when he stays in bounds is fantastic. And then when he gets into the end zone, you just get a whole other level you know, playoff arrowhead crowd is rocking. The crowd goes absolutely nuts. I mean, it's just one of those iconic plays that we will always be talking about that we will always remember. And this much like, you know, the, the previous week against the, the Texans, I mean, this clearly just broke the Titans, right? Like they, they fought back and there were some tense moments in the second half, which we'll talk about, but this, this went from being a 17 to 14 game, with Titans in the lead to a 21-17. Yeah, 17-7. And it goes to being a 21-17 Chiefs lead at halftime with the Chiefs getting the ball back. Correct. After halftime. When, you know, the, the Chiefs had the ball in their own 14 with a minute 50 left in the half. And they are down three and they go into halftime up four. It's it's crazy. It was such a such an unbelievable play and every part of it just encapsulates, you know, who, who Pat is as a player, like not going out of bounds, the decision to kind of cut it back inside the decision to say, I mean, I know I'm going to take a hit here. Like I'm going to get hit by two guys and I'm going to get through both of these guys and get into the end zone because I want to go to the damn Super Bowl. Like that's, (laughs) that's it, man. That's the stuff. Like, like all great ones. He has the the ability to put a team, a great team, on his back. And he's not just out there competing with everyone else. He is willing his team to victory. And the the run is just such a 
encapsulation of Pat, exactly like you said. It's just such a, you know, the, the desire for him, the ability. He looked like he ran a lot at Texas Tech, a lot more than he had really with the Chiefs. Now, he's been a scrambler, but he's run to throw here. And right. with Tech, he had a lot of rushing touchdowns. He had a lot of, you know, games where plays would break down and he would take off with his legs because that's in college, that opportunity is there a lot more. But his playmaking ability is so on display. He, it's, he's so comfortable doing that, that it's, it's phenomenal to have a quarterback that looks like Peyton Manning in the pocket and Mike Vick outside the pocket. It's just, yeah. it, it's just such a luxury. And he, the, the Titans had not faced a running Mahomes because the previous, you know, in week nine when they faced us, uh, he didn't have a rush attempt because he was just coming off the knee injury. The only game of his career. Only game of his attempt. career. And, and he was – clearly he had, you know, kept that in his bag of tricks for this game because he knew that they were going to give him some – they weren't really ready for how he ran. At least they clearly showed that they weren't. Or they chose not to defend it because they thought his arm was more dangerous because he threw for 400-plus yards against them in Nashville the last time. So – he just – he finds a way to beat you. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter if he – you know, what the situation is. He will find a way to get it done. When we went into halftime here with the lead, as a fan watching this game, I mean, I was celebrating going to the Super Bowl. And I know that there was a whole half of football left, but much like the Texans game, that was the nail in the coffin. We were going. Yeah, so I was watching this game at a bar in Crested Butte, Colorado, which is a town of 1,681 people. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mountain town. It's a ski town. So I was up there in a Chiefs bar. There actually is a Chiefs bar in Crested Butte, Colorado. It's called The Last Steep. It's owned by a couple from Kansas City. So that was the obvious choice for where I was going to watch the game, given that I was was not, you know, in my house or in Kansas City, you know, at the game. And there were some other Chiefs fans there, but I will say, I mean, like I, I felt, obviously I felt great going into halftime. It's one of those plays where it's backbreaking. You, you see that run for the touchdown. You think, I mean, we're going to the Super Bowl. There's no way that these guys are going to beat us, but the Texans to their, or the Titans to their credit, unlike the Texans stayed pretty frisky in this game. <laughs> um, they, they came out to the Chiefs. You're thinking, you know, we just scored on this amazing touchdown run and we get the ball you know, to start the second half. And we came out in the second half and I'm fully expecting us to go down and go up 28 to 17. And then the game for sure will be over, right? Like the same way it was against the Texans. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Because that's exactly what we did do against the Texans, but the Titans came out and stopped us on our first drive. And then we had to punt the ball back to them. They had to punt the ball back to us. And then, you know, midway through the third quarter, the Chiefs just have another kind of soul-crushing drive. Seven-minute drive. <laughs> a seven-minute drive that ends with a Damian Williams three-yard run for a touchdown to put the Chiefs up 28-17. to 17. And it, it, it starts with 6.58 left in the third quarter. It ends with 14.50 left in the fourth quarter. I mean, for all of the Chiefs' you know, success throughout the year and, and even in the playoffs, this was like kind of one of the – the one thing that you couldn't, that you didn't necessarily expect them to be able to do, you know, we were a passing team or a pass first team or a pass heavy offense. There were times when we, we needed to run the ball. We were in obvious running situations, you know, just to salt clock or whatever. We just couldn't do it. We couldn't, you know, get those tough yards between the tackles, keep the clock rolling, you know, keep getting first downs. And they did it on this drive. I mean, they came out and ran the ball with Damian Williams, four straight, 
uh, four straight carries to and start the Tony drive Romo off. Said, do we? Does anyone know if the Chiefs have ever run the ball four straight times this year? He was flabbergasted. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, and it yeah. probably was the first the first time we'd done it. And then they mixed a couple of passes in there, a couple short passes. Then they had Tyreek carry it, and then they had Darwin Thompson of all people carry it. And he and popped into the for game a first down. Of course, hurdled, yeah, because that's his signature move. And then Pat ran for 11 yards. Damian Williams ran for four yards. I mean, this was like almost all runs. It was an insane drive. It was so unlike the Chiefs, but it just goes to show, like, I mean, the Chiefs showed up. They were ready for this game, and they were ready to go to the Super Bowl. You know, like, they needed to do exactly this. This is exactly what they needed to do in this situation. They needed to kill clock. They needed to put more points on the board. Mm -hmm. And they did exactly that. And they did it doing something that traditionally this year they weren't very good at, which was run the ball. (laughs) It was a 13-play drive where they ran it 10 times. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so they punch it in. We're up 28-17. to It's already into the fourth quarter. And then the Titans go – not three and out, but they have a five-play drive that ends with a punt. And so at this point, I mean, the Chiefs get the ball back. It's 28-17. There's, you know, 12 minutes left in the game. And this is the drive where I really felt, I mean, this is it. We drafted this play. I drafted this play in the Pat plays of the season. But this one, Kansas City gets to the 40-yard line. It's third and six, all right? And Patrick Mahomes... I've gushed about this play before because I drafted it in our Pat plays draft. This is actually an insane play. Like low key. This is like one of the better Pat plays that exists. And there, obviously there are so many, I was rewatching the NFL 100 video this morning, uh, which was obviously just highlights of his 2018 season, which is crazy. Um, I can't wait, by the way, that's probably coming out here at the end of the month. I think usually comes out in july so oh wow uh, i hadn't even considered that ready for more uh player interviews he's got to be one right he's like really good at football that kind of stuff you know (laughs) when i seen him throw that ball (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's gonna be great It, it will be a highlight of july for sure so he rolls out to the left he scrambles to the left there's nobody to the left he's getting pressured he rolls back to his right and he does almost throw this ball like it's almost a jump pass. Mm-hmm. He's, he's throwing it at a totally goofy angle. If you watch it from the end zone uh, view on the All-22, it's a much better view of just kind of how weird a pass it is than it is on the broadcast. Yeah, he like wings it. It's not like a traditional yeah, quarterback throw. He, yeah, he just wings it on the run, like almost <laughs> in the air off platform across his body. He's throwing back to his left. All right. He's running to his right. He's throwing to his left. He throws the ball, like something like 55 yards in the air. Throwing downfield for Watkins. Sammy Watkins for the touchdown. (laughs) Sammy just runs right through his guy, Tremaine Brock, who is holding him. And Sammy just catches the ball and just runs through him. I mean, he just runs away from him and into the end zone. It's 35 to 17 with seven minutes left in the game. And the, the Titans to their credit came down and scored a quick touchdown after this. I mean, relatively quick touchdown. They're still down by 11 points. It still took them three and a half minutes when they were it seven took them and three a half, and a half minutes. minutes. Yeah, and they it were did. down, you know, 35, 17. So good, good job scoring to go down 11 with four minutes left. Yeah. I mean, and that was the final score. It was 35 to 24. And the Chiefs, obviously, at, at this point, you know, they get the ball back. They don't score again. But, you know, with 418 left in the game and up 11, there's still an outside chance. I mean, if you if you go three and out and then they get the ball back, you know, that, that makes it a game. 
but the Chiefs took another two minutes off the clock. They didn't give the ball back to the Titans until there was 2.15 left in the game. You know, then obviously we, we haven't mentioned his name yet, but the last drive of the game in what would become a playoff tradition for the Chiefs, Frank Clark <laughs> sacking Ryan Tannehill on fourth and six to officially ice it and give the Chiefs the Lamar Hunt trophy. Have you ever seen a greater distance between sacker and quarterback? Like no, he no. touches Tannehill and then Tannehill runs like eight yards backwards oh and my falls God, down. Amazing. And then it was that great. was, it was a 17 yard loss on the play, but clearly, you know, it was, it was fourth down anyway. So Tannehill was trying to keep his legs and throw the ball and he just couldn't, but you know, it was so cathartic. It was so emotional. It was almost, I mean, we had, talked at the time about how like I don't know how the Super Bowl can feel better than this I it yeah. did it ended up <laughs> it ended up feeling yeah. better but it was that was the moment that the Chiefs hadn't gotten past that was the the boogeyman the the getting to the Super Bowl was something that they hadn't done since Super Bowl four yeah it wasn't like they'd been to a bunch of Super Bowls and lost them right like right. they hadn't been in 50 years right and it was kind of almost a little bit like you know, the Royals with their playoff uh, streak where they didn't go to the playoffs for 30 years. Like this was the hump, you know, like we'd been to the playoffs a bunch of times. We'd lost in the playoffs a bunch of times, but like this was getting to the Super Bowl just by itself was a huge accomplishment. You know, it was the Lamar Hunt trophy, the the Lamar Hunt trophy that instantly wiped out that stupid ass joke that Raiders and Broncos fans would ever look, you don't even have any Lamar Hunt trophies. It's named after your owner. Guess what, bitch? Now we do. Yeah. It was and at great. least one. I mean, it's about to be a lot oh, more than that. It's going to be a lot more than that. Yeah, it was. Um, it was magical. It was something that the way that they overcame adversity both times. You know, we're sitting there it, just in awe of this team. And honestly, if the Chiefs had won this game, thirty-five twenty-four, and had won the previous game, fifty-one thirty-one, but hadn't been down in either game and had just go out there and just fired bullets from, from the jump and just outpaced them. I would have felt good about it. I would have obviously, you know, felt comfortable and felt like our team was really good, but the emotions wouldn't be there because I didn't feel that our backs were ever against the wall in that situation. Like I would have felt like, okay, we've got a really good team. Let's see if we can go in the Super Bowl. But like, this was, this was emotional. This was very, very raw. And like the chiefs had come back from the dead basically twice. And I just, I'm just in awe of the coaching and in awe of the talent and in awe of Pat. To your point, uh, a team that did win both of its playoff games by double digits and never trailed and was Ah. never really threatened was the San Francisco 49ers. And we're going to break that game down in two weeks, Super Bowl live. But that, that, I mean, that can't really be understated. I mean, that was a 13 and three team that dealt with a little bit of adversity, but you heard all the Chiefs players talk about it, you know, throughout the year. And certainly after they, they got the trophy, they got the Lombardi, just what it meant to be down by double digits in all of these games and be able to come back to win. And, you know, then to be facing obviously a 20 to 10 deficit in the Super Bowl with, you know, seven minutes left in the game and having the confidence and the ability to go out and, win the Super Bowl, which we're going to talk about in two weeks. 
So thank you all so much for listening. We are going to be back next week with a mailbag episode. So we are going to be soliciting your mailbag questions, get those ready. We're also going to try to have on a guest next week. We're going to have try to have on our buddy Sam Hayes from uh, Sports Illustrated. He's one of our fellow Sports Illustrated people over at Arrowhead Report. So we're going to try to have him on as well. So if you have mailbag questions specifically for him, we're going to try to get him to contribute. Uh, so hopefully that works out. We will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.